Welcome to episode 115. Today, the one and only and always highly engaging and animated Dr. Jose Medina returns to the podcast to talk about standing with the LGBTQ plus community. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. In our field, we often talk about how race and language intersects. However, we rarely ever hear a conversation around the LGBTQ-ness and language. Today, Dr. Jose Medina will make you laugh, cry, and inspire you to continue your work with the LGBTQ students, their families, and our colleagues. Now, on to today's podcast. It is always a special, special day when Dr. Jose Medina can come back to the podcast to grace us with your beauty and your wisdom. Dr. Jose Medina, bienvenido. Ay, gracias, Tan. You're so uh, flattering to me. Casi, casi me quedo chillando. Así, mira, chillando. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. Muchas gracias. How, can you no, pronounce no. your full name like you always do? Sure. So I'm excited to be here, Tan. First of all, my full name is Dr. Jose Luis Medina Hernandez Franco Lopez Jr. Diaz Cruz. I just love it. It always tickles me when I hear the full name because we know names are so important. Well, Tan, and you know that my name was stolen from me in a U.S. school. And so that's why I own it. And I... I say my full telenovela name whenever there's a chance. Hello, drama, teatro, we're here for it. Take it all. Take it claro. all. Claro. Well, you're, we know you in the field as an expert in language development and multilinguals. And now for, for causing desmadre before there even was desmadre. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm here to ask you to talk about the intersection between language acquisition and LGBTQ community. So. Absolutely. No. So thanks for the opportunity. So yes, most of my research and my work um, is around how do we best create um, linguistic equity and linguistic liberation for emergent bilingual and multilingual students. But one of the pieces that's so inherent to my work is that um, desmadre in the name of equidad and social justice, that good disruption, right? Um, dismantling systems that oppress. And so for someone like me, who is um, not just an emergent bilingual and will forever be an emergent bilingual, adding language to my linguistic repertoire, I'm also a queer Latinx individual educator. And so those intersections for me really have driven everything that I do in terms of how I serve others. And so I was thrilled that you wanted to talk about my Latinx queerness as a language learning um, adult. 
um, because it is really at the essence of my heart. So thank you, thank you for that opportunity. Right. Um, sociocultural competence, anti-bias, anti-racism work, obviously is about racial equity and um, gender, talking about gender inequity, um, socioeconomic status, physical ability privilege, all of these pieces. But often two of the pieces that we don't talk about um, are linguistic liberation. Like linguistic liberation has to be a part of sociocultural competence and anti-bias, anti-racism work. And often it's left out. And then in terms of um, being queer, it, it's crazy. But as you know, in the world of education, it's still one of those topics that's taboo and that educators are just so uh, frightened to tackle. It's like, okay, I believe that all uh, folks are equal. Yes, I believe in uh, Black Lives Matter. Yes, I believe in gender equity, but I wanna hold on to my homophobia and my transphobia. And it, it just cannot work that way, Don. It can't, it has to be um, an all in kind of situation. Right, because if we don't leave, if, we, if it's not all in, we leave some out. And when we leave some out, it's never a good thing. Yeah, when I serve teachers, as you know, I, I facilitate professional development, um, professional learning, technical support, job embedded coaching for teachers and administrators all over the world. And one of the things that I always remind them of is that when we got hired to serve as educators, we cannot just serve those that look like us, speak like us, pray like us, love like us. Like we are charged to serve all students and to serve each other, even um, those of us that are similar, even those of us that are different, like that's a part of the deal. Like you can't just pick and choose. Yeah. Well, speaking of picking and choosing, tell us about your uh, first job when you got hired. Yeah, so this is kind of like, the more I reflect on it and the more I share um, what happened to me as a newbie teacher, it, it makes me sad it also um, makes me understand how far I have personally come, um, but also how much more work there is to be done in terms of the world of education and society as a whole. So I had just graduated with my master's degree and I returned back to El Paso, Texas, because as you know, I'm from El Paso, Texas, Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua. And I interviewed for a position um, as a teacher and the interview went really well. I mean. Amigo, like super well, like I was rocking it out. I was feeling sassy. I, my ensemble was fabulous. And it was also my first job interview for a teaching position ever. So, I mean, here I am fresh out of grad school, looking fly and um, rocking it out at the interview. And then as I finished the interview, the principal uh, says, you know, I want to welcome you to the team. That was before we had committees. And so it was just myself and the and the principal. It happened to be a white um, heterosexual male. And so um, he offered me the job and I'm super excited. I'm like, damn, I, I'm so good. You know, like right away, first job interview and I have got the job. And as I'm walking out on all of a sudden, um, he says something along the lines of, I can't tell you what to do outside of school, but I've. I would tone it down if um, if I were you, because um, we serve in a very conservative community. And all of a sudden, everything that I was feeling in terms of excitement just kind of exited my body. And I wanted to just cry because all of a sudden I reverted to that young kid knowing that whatever I was, wasn't what was wanted, wasn't what was needed. 
And so all of that confidence just simply disappeared in that moment. And I, I'm so mad at myself, Don, because I didn't have a response. I said, thank you, and, and walked out. And I wish that I could back, I could go back in time and, and have a better response than just simply exiting. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I this was in 1995. So it wasn't, um, it still wasn't readily seen as something good to be openly queer and, a, and an educator. Not that it is, we still have obstacles today, but it was much different back then. I mean, that was over 25 years ago. Um, and so anyway, that was my entry into the schooling system. We're so glad that you're going to be a part of our team, but tone it down. And honestly, I don't even know what I'm supposed to tone down because the fabulousness cannot be contained, as you know, because you are equally fabulous. So thank you. I'm just like crying right now. What would you say right now to him if he was to say, listen, you need to turn this down? What would you say now that you have 25 years of beautiful experience and confidence? Oh, oh, you didn't, you've never asked me this before. I would turn to him and I would say, thank you so much for the opportunity to go ahead and interview for this position. I do want to let you know, however, that I can only bring uh, myself fully into the position. And so, as you know, I come highly recommended and with uh, fantastic credentials. And so if that's going to be a problem for me to be fully who I am, then probably this isn't the right place for me. Um, and so I would love to have an, on, an honest conversation about how you're going to be able to support everything that I bring into the space and not just those parts that are palatable to you. That's I what that. I would say. Oh, I've been waiting over 25 years to say that. Is it a healing? It is, and you know, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I've actually looked him up um, on social media to see if he's still around. He was a much older gentleman than me at the time. And so I've never been able to find him. And I mean, I know his name because it just created that um, first impression of my journey as a queer Latinx teacher in the educational system. I wish that, I, I think, I, I can't remember if you're gonna show people, but your reactions are just fabulous. I just want you to know. People, you would you would love seeing fun right now. He's a hot mess laughing and, and it's so funny. It's a hot mess over here. <laughs> we are all a hot mess. <laughs> and we own it. What did RuPaul yeah. say? RuPaul said, uh, everyone's born naked. The rest is drag. Of course. I mean, look at what I chose for you today. It's a button down, a C. It, it, it went with my feelings today. <laughs> <laughs> So I, when you when you said tone it down, I just wrote the words like uh, leave it out. Whenever I hear say someone say turn it down, leave it out, and I want to almost be, say like to that principal, I want to say like, do you say this to your straight teachers? Right? Yeah, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have. I'm sure. Exactly. exactly. So it it's just can't believe 25 years. Well, we have we had a chance to say. And you know why I asked you that question this time because there are teachers, there are young teachers who are going to listen to this. And now they're going to have the words to say it because I was going to I was listening to your tone and I was like, it wasn't mean. It was self affirming. It was confident and you stood fast. You say you will take me as I am fully or you will take none of me. Yeah, it's so crazy. So um, I come across a lot of um, queer educators in my work and they often um, reach out to me via social media email. Obviously, right now, a lot of the services are virtual, but they'll send me direct messages. 
And even today, um, they are afraid. They are afraid to be fully who they are because they know that it isn't what is uh, accepted, even today in 2021. And so uh, to all the queer teachers out there that are just starting out, remember that you are worth it and you are phenomenal and you deserve to be in a school setting with an educational leader that is not only going to see your value, but is going to amplify your voice and use everything that you bring into the space to create educational access and opportunities for all students and all teachers and all educators and all families in that community. And if that is not what that principal, assistant principal, superintendent for my queer administrators out there, if that is not the leader that is before you, then perhaps that isn't the place where you belong, where you should be serving because you need someone that is going to um, bring light to everything that you stand for, not to try to dim it. And, and unfortunately that still happens today. Well, we, you are really helping us change that. You're giving us a new narrative to say, no, no, no. We're not gonna stand for that anymore. Claro, it's been a journey, but you know, Tan, you're, you're the same as I am. Like the, I think the two of us are very comfortable um, with who we are and in our own skin. And I think that that takes time, but if educators out there benefit from um, seeing the two of us just be fully who we are and saying, desmadre, desmadre, queerness, andale, vámonos, then that is a plus, that is a plus. And I was doing with my students this year, we were virtual, virtual learning, the first day of virtual learning, we were doing an activity where kids had to name an object, they had to guess, yes, no, yes, no. They had to ask, like, is it blue? Can you wear it? Can you eat it? And finally, the object that I had was, it's a, I still have it on me. It's a necklace given to my ex, uh, given to me from my ex-boyfriend. And I said, he gave it to me right before I left to go on an airplane to board the flight. And, the, and someone said, and the kids, like 60 kids, one kid said, so you're gay? And I, without blinking, I said, yes, I am. And I moved on to the next topic. I love it. I love it. I love it. I have to tell you that Hearing you just say it out loud makes me yearn, um, makes me yearn to have an opportunity to go back, right? Back in 1995, I started teaching middle school and then um, one year later, high school. I wasn't able, to, I, I never had the opportunity to say, you know, hi, I'm your queer middle school, high school teacher. But what I am really proud of is that they knew because, um, I don't have the privilege that some queer folks have. Like I am not straight passing. And so from the moment that I walked into the classroom, I mean, there were, you know, metaphorical boas and feathers. I mean, that's just what follows my entrance. And so I have to tell you that I'm so proud that so many of the students that I served in those um, first couple of years continue to follow me um, on social media, even to this day. And, and several of them who are also now queer educators are causing this madre themselves and just owning, owning, you know, who they are and letting the students that, that they serve know exactly what's up, which is um, fabulosity, of course. Fabulosity. I love that. <laughs> Speaking of fabulosity, you have someone who is fabulous in your life named Gabriel. Would you tell us about Gabriel? Sure. So... High school was horrible, horrible for me, Tan, horrible. 
Um, I actually um, dropped out for a couple of days early on in my high school career because I was being taunted and physically uh, abused, even sexually abused in some ways, not um, not um, in terms of rape or anything like that, but you know, my, my genitals being grabbed or things being thrown at my butt. I mean, just horrible, horrible things. And um, I actually stopped going to school and I told my mom and my dad who only um, mobilized Spanish and who didn't have a lot of educational access. So it's not like they were ready and prepared to advocate for me. Um, because they felt that educators knew what they were doing. But I pushed them and I said, I need to change schools. So I actually changed schools. Um, I forced my mom and my dad to go to the central office, to the independent school district office and um, have me change schools. So um, as a sophomore, I went to a different school and it was then that I actually met um, Gabriel. I met Gabriel at a, um, a keg party. I don't know if you know, if, if you know what those are, but in Texas, we have keg parties at the high school level. Don't judge me, y'all. Listeners, don't judge me. And so I um, I went to a keg party and um, I met Gabriel. Um, he was a, a friend of a friend. And I immediately knew that Gabriel was going to be my lifelong best friend, mi mejor amigo, um, because he was just unapologetic about who he was. He was um, a couple of months younger than I was, um, but just as queer as can be, as proud as can be. And that friendship changed the trajectory of my life forever because um, getting to know him that year that I was not at Isleta High School um, allowed me to return back to Isleta High School as a junior. And I was a totally different person when I returned as a junior because of Gabriel. Um, Gabriel really taught me how to love myself. He said, que no te importe lo que diga la gente. You cannot be worried about what people say. He taught me how to defend myself verbally um, when people would heckle me or call me a faggot or a maricón or a pato. All of these derogatory terms, Gabriel would say, voltea, échales el ojo. Y dale la respuesta, which means, you know, stop, give them the look, turn around, and then give them your response. And so from that point on, if somebody said, you know, you fag or you faggot or um, something horrible, I would turn around and with, you know, Gabriel's coaching, I'd be like, um, you didn't say that last night, honey. And then I would walk off. Do you know what I mean? So those kinds of things, which I just didn't have that before. And Gabriel, Gabriel saved my life. He... He just is, is and will continue to be everything to me. He passed away in 2011 from a drug overdose. Um, his life was just very different than mine. I was very blessed to have um, a family that was just really, really supportive. And even though they didn't initially love the fact that I was a gay man, they just have been there for me. And not everybody has those kinds of support systems. And so in 2011, he passed away. But one of my greatest joys is that <clears throat> he knows, because I've told him many, many times, he knows how he changed my life. He got to see me as a teacher. Uh, we met when we were obviously 15. Um, he was my friend until that last moment. And Tony got to meet him, of course. They, he, he, visited, he visited Tony and I, my husband, Tony, he visited us in our home and, and um, spent a, a week there. And, and so just knowing that he understood what an impact he had on me was just amazing. Um, whenever we would go out and people would ask us to do bad things as high school kids. And also at, 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 when I was in college, like, you know, people would offer us um, 
things that we shouldn't be doing. And Gabriel would be like, that's my college friend. He can't do that. So like he would protect me. He always protected me. Um, it, it, it's, it's amazing what he did for me. I miss him. I actually wrote a poem about him, of course, um, in my last poetry book for children. It's available in English and in Spanish. There's a poem called Gabriel. Um, and I, um, I actually send it to his family. Um, even though he passed in 2011, I continue to be in touch with his family because um, they, they were his, they were, they were the people that he grew up with. They were the people around him. And so they need to know um, that he was special and will continue to be special. Well, you know, names are very important and Gabriel is an archangel. So he is still there with you and he is still protecting you. Ugh. Tan, I adore you because you just get me. So um, I'm not like a, uh, I'm, 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 I'm Catholic, I grew up Catholic. I'm not super religious now. I'm very, very um, spiritual. And, and I do follow some of the, you know, the Catholic teachings because it's embedded in me. But in my home, as an adult, I always have had, um, since Gabriel's passing, um, one of the archangels right next to my, uh, right next to my bedside. And so Gabriel literally sleeps on my nightstand. And don't worry, Tony's not jealous at all. No, he, Tony has his own archangel on his, on his nightstand. So mine is Gabriel because Gabriel was my savior and my angel and continues to be so. I talk to him all the time. I know that may sound weird, but I'll like, I'll, something great will happen. And I'll be like, Gabriel, you will not believe what just happened. And then, you know, I imagine that he's like, Georgina. He used to call me Georgina. He'd be like, Georgina. ¿Qué está pasando? What's going on? So I, I imagine having these conversations with my forever best friend. Obviously, Tony's my best friend, but Gabriel was there um, since the beginning. Well, every celebration, Gabriela is there toasting with you right there. I think I like to think so. Thank you. Yeah, I like to think so. Yeah, when when I when you told me about Gabriela, I was getting teary eyed because I was like, everybody needs a Gabriel. And here's the reason why, because now I have the balls to, not just the balls, I have the art. I love it. It's all a part of your linguistic repertoire. Yes, it. use it. Yeah. I have the audacity. Now, if parents in the future, because I've, I've had people say like, listen, what are you going to teach my kid because you're gay? Right? And I will now say, I will teach them confidence and pride in who they are. I will not teach them to love men, but I will teach them to be confident and proud and individuals. Yeah, I mean, that's the crazy part, right? Um, why why is it that, that it's different for queer folks? It's it's not like we go into the teaching field to recruit people. It, that, that's crazy. It's like, are you gonna say that to someone that has a different intersectionality? Like, oh, you're here recruiting uh, for such and such community? No, like, it's just who you are, it's your identity. But yet there are teachers today that still have students pulled from their classrooms because families don't want their child to be with the lesbian teacher or the non-binary educator or the trans teacher. Um, there are administrators that have to hide that, that they're queer because, I mean, I can tell you this from experience. I, I was um, a high school administrator and I even had a family that didn't want me to impose consequences when their child misbehaved because uh, a Mexican fag is the, the terminology they used. A Mexican fag should not be um, 
giving my son punishment. That actually happened to me when I was uh, an assistant principal um, at a high school in Texas. But white people can. I mean, I've been told that I can't, um, I, as an administrator, I was told that I couldn't um, redirect students because I was Mexican. I've been told that I couldn't redirect students because I was gay. And when they were feeling like just destructive, I've also had folks that have said, you cannot redirect our child because you're queer and gay. So, I mean, it's, it's out there. It's out there even in 2021. It's, we've, we've made so much strides, but we still have so much more to go. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we're grateful for the work that has been done and all those that came before us because, you know, it was trans women of color that have got a, gotten us to this space. And so forever grateful, but then we have to continue that legacy by doing the work on a daily basis. Revolution um, doesn't always happen in a Stonewall event. It doesn't happen in, in, in a moment that is forever identifiable in history books. Revolution happens on a daily basis as we leverage our privilege and dismantle the systems that oppress those that often are marginalized. And so that's where we come in as educators. We change the world one conversation and one action at a time. When you said that, I'm getting chills. I don't know if you can see this, but oh. I'm getting chills. Oh, you're, the, you're sweet. Gracias. Oh, this is the first, so I call them truth bumps. So you're speaking truth to me. There, this is the first year I've asked my students to uh, please tell me their pronouns. So I have a little document and I say, please tell me your name, your full name. Please tell me the name you want me to call you. Please record your how to pronounce your name in Flipgrid. Say it three times. And then at the end, please tell me your pronouns. Would you like me to use your pronouns in class this way or just on paper? And then I had a student say, I've never been asked before. Please Aww. call me they, them. Love, 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 love. I mean, come on. You know what's so weird? I think, I think what it is, Tan, is that there are some educators who have never realized that from the moment they stepped foot in the classroom, they've been teaching queer kids. They just never saw them. They, they chose not to see them. But I, I saw something on social media that I, maybe it was my friend Paul Emmerich. I, I think that's who posted it. Something along the lines of, you have to teach every day as if there are queer students in your class, because there are. And so if you are creating an inclusive classroom community, you can't exclude those students that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. Like you just can't. And I don't think that most of us as, as educators have heard that before. So I'm grateful to, to whoever posted that on social media. I'm thinking it was Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll cite Paul then, not a problem. Perfect. I, I just really thought I was like, wow, this is the first, how many, so this is my 15th year of teaching. How many gay kids or how many kids who are non-binary, have I called them he or she? And these three students, I would have called them she if I did not ask. Right? Yes. This is, this is, I think in, this is so power, powerful because now they, because the, one, the students that you've never, I've never been asked before, I have never asked students for their pronouns before, but I'm sure that student feels really seen. And that's what you we do. Their, yeah, you changed their life. That's what you did. Like you changed the trajectory of their life. Ugh, Powerful, me, right? Right. You're gonna make me cry. You better stop. Ooh. But that's what you did. That's what you did. Snap, snap. 
So tell me about what can teachers do to support their LGBT uh, teachers, not just students. Let's talk with that. Sure. Well, I mean, I love the conversation that you started in terms of pronouns, right? Um, so many queer teachers still are freaked out about being honest uh, in terms of their identity. And so leveraging those folks out there that have heteronormative privilege, they have to openly speak uh, about pronoun use because often it's those co-conspirators um, that's the label that Britt Hawthorne kind of uses. My, my friend and colleague Britt Hawthorne says that we need to move. Um, it's great to be an active ally. It's great to be an accomplice, but all of us are striving to be that co-conspirator because that co-conspirator um, is where we are truly living daily to dismantle systems of oppression and using whatever privilege we carry to create access to it. And so those teachers that aren't a part of the LGBTQ+, um, let's not forget 2S as well, for our Indigenous um, friends as well. Um, if you carry that heteronormative privilege, then you're the one that has to be alongside as a co-conspirator to the queer educational community so that we can talk about pronouns, so that we can bring literature into the classroom, including at the elementary level and in early childhood, um, that is inclusive of queer kids and queer families. Um, there has to be also some overt work in terms of anti-bias, anti-racism um, initiatives or socio-cultural competence initiatives, if we're speaking dual language or bilingual education, that actually brings that conversation about queer um, folks into the system that we are creating at the school level or at the district level, because to do so would be criminal. Um, one of the things that I love to say to teachers, because I've had a handful of teachers say, Jose, I'm, I'm not homophobic. My best friend is gay. And so my response to teachers, but to anyone, is you can have a gay best friend, you can have a trans friend, you can have a non-binary friend and be homophobic and transphobic as hell. Because if you're not actively using your privilege to dismantle the systems that oppress those students or those educators, then you are the oppressor. And I just don't think that people get that. Like, it's not good enough to have a gay friend. Like you actively have to co-conspire with the queer community to change things in schools because it's it's still there. A couple of years ago, um, Tan, I was actually facilitating professional learning in a school district that shall remain um, nameless. And an administrator actually made a comment to the leadership at the district saying that Dr. Medina's research and his strategies are really strong, but he's just too gay. So this administrator, publicly said um, that they didn't want, I'm going to use they, I know their pronouns, but I'm going to use they so that no one is um, identifiable. Um, I, I, I don't want anybody to, to be canceled at this moment. They um, said, I just don't feel like the teachers on my campus um, need to hear Jose uh, and go through his training because he's just too gay. I mean, luckily the district is like very progressive and hello, they gave me a multi-year contract and all of the teachers have, you know, loved the professional learning. But the fact that an administrator had the privilege, carried so much privilege that they would actually say that out loud um, just tells you the, the state of affairs in education at this moment. I'm just, I, so I, I can't believe that a principal would say in front of colleagues say this is who we should not have because of this reason. 
I know it, 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 it shocked me as well. And I'm not going to lie to you. I spent some time, um, crying in the shower. I had my lifetime, you know, TV movie moment. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying, but lifetime always has those movies that are so dramatic. And, you know, there's the shower scene, you know, with the steam and the tears, um, because I am a telenovela product, of course, I had my shower, you know, Lifetime's movie scene and, and I was really upset and hurt. But then I also realized that when you're causing this madre, there is going to be hopefully a large percentage of people that relate to your message, but there's gonna be always a handful that are going to want to see you uh, be silenced. And so if your work is worthwhile, that means that you're going to have some folks trying to stop that work. And so that's been really helpful as I dealt with that situation and others, because I mean, it happens all the time. You know how you said the tone it down? I've had facilitators that say, we love your work, Dr. Medina, but we have a conservative community. Could you tone down um, when you talk about, and I'm like, I don't tone anything down. My name is Jose Luis Medina Hernandez, Franco Lopez, Junior Diaz Cruz, Latinx, queer, language learning. You see it, you get it, you love it, that's it. Take it. Andale. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I I don't dim my light for anyone, baby. Mm -mm. I need to get a sign for you that says, uh, I don't do subtle. Andale. Exactamente. Exactamente tan. Por favor. Por favor. That, that's that's what Gabriel used to say. Por favor. <laughs> Gabriel is having a great time up there right now. He is watching us and he's like, yes. I know, I know. Oh, so well, awesome. What would you say to that administrator? If you were in that room, this administrator said that, give him a respuesta. Yeah, so I definitely would have an honest conversation with him. Damn, I, I forgot it and I used the pronouns. I would have, let's, you don't have to erase this. I'm just gonna erase out loud in my head. I would tell them, you know, I'm correcting myself because I'm a hot mess. I would tell them, um, please explain to me what it is about my queerness that scares you so that you would want to refrain from having me share all of the awesome biliteracy instructional practices and strategies and research with the teachers that you serve. And if this is what you feel about me, what about the queer educators that are on the staff that you serve? And what about the many students that are queer that you also serve? Like, how are they feeling? Um, I would share some resources. I'm, I'm never, um, confrontational is, is, is I think the wrong word. I'm always clear in my intent. And so it's not that I would be confrontational with that administrator, um, but I would be very clear in my intent um, and also in standing up for myself. Um, and I do this in all aspects of my life. One time I was presenting in a different school district and somebody said, you've misread this group. Um, you are being too Mexican at this moment. Like somebody actually said that as I was facilitating and I was not confrontational. Um, I continued being very professional and facilitate the PD, but at break, um, then I was very clear in my intent because just like I can't be too queer, I cannot be too Mexican. It's just the right combination of queer and Mexican. So that's for all of us. Our job is not to be confrontational. It's to stop in the moment, engage in our dialogue and be clear with our intent. That's what it's about. What's your intent then? And when you, when you have these conversations, let's help the teachers. Like, let's give them an intention that you have. My intent is to, first of all, make myself whole 
That's the first piece. Because if I don't make myself whole when somebody makes a comment like that, um, too gay, too Mexican, too whatever, then that's gonna leave a hole in my soul. Um, because I know that that evening I would be fuming and, and regretful, just like I was with that first principle that I never had a chance to say something. So I wanna make myself whole. But second of all, I want to stop in the moment and readdress and unpack the comment. Because when we don't unpack the comment, when we let it fly, then we become a part of that oppressiveness. We become complicit in that oppression. And if I don't stop in the moment, having made myself whole, then I'm allowing that individual to hurt others. And then the third piece for me is always about building bridges and changing the conversation, changing the world one conversation at a time. And so I always want to make sure that I offer tools after I stand my ground in a professional way. Um, have you ever reflected on this? Have you ever read this book? Let me send you an article. And so those three steps to me um, have been really, really helpful. Make myself whole, stop and unpack the statement and then offer resources, support or solution, reflection pieces so that that person can hopefully uh, be critically self-reflective and not engage in this kind of activity or behavior again. Right, because I think the, the last conversation you had with me, we talked about uh, culture objectives, like that was transformational. And then at the end you said, listen, now that you know this, if you don't do it, you are actively participating in a system of oppression. Right. Well, yeah, I, I love that. I love that you bring that up because in terms of how do we engage students in this work, like our major tool that we have is the culture objective because we also don't want our students, that was kind of um, possessive. Let me refrain, let me rephrase. Um, we don't want the students that we serve that's more culturally sustaining. Um, we don't want the students that we serve to be as equally a hot mess as we are. And so as a teacher, what I bring to the space is the lesson plans that I design. And so I'm not just um, planning for content and language, linguistic liberation, which is foundational, um, but I'm also planning for culture um, objectives and sociocultural competence and anti-bias, anti-racism work. And so those four ways to plan for a culture objective are amplify the voices of marginalized communities, connect to the student and or to the real world, cross-linguistic translanguaging moments and academic and social language as equals. And it's so interesting because if you take a look at the four ways, the first one is the scary one. That's where we talk about um, racial injustice in pre-K. That's where we talk about um, immigration concerns at every grade level. That's where we pull out texts um, in terms of socioeconomic status. The second one though is one that we're more used to. That's about connecting to the student center to the real world. Well, guess what? All of us have been doing some sociocultural competence, anti-bias, anti-racism work, um, but we can't just focus on that one. We have to target the four. And then the last two are actually about linguistic liberation. It's about valuing the student's entire linguistic repertoire and seeing um, the irony in this academic social conversation, which of course are social constructs. And believe you, me, I get it. We work in a schooling system, but the word sup is as gorgeous as how do you do? And the word boss is as gorgeous as the word pues. So those are the four ways to plan 
for sociocultural competence, anti-bias, anti-racism work um, in the classroom for students. And of course, that includes queer um, students and the conversations that will create uh, opportunities for them to be highlighted and, and revered. Right. And that's the first one is like giving, amplifying the voices of marginalized people. And I made it, I had an arrow connected to what you said when you, when you stood up and said, no, this is not okay. When we do this as LGBTQS people, we don't just do this for us. We do it for everyone that's not in the room. It's for the parents who are LGBTQ+, it's for their kids, it's for our colleagues. You just hit the nail on the head. Like when we let it fly, when we don't unpack in the moment, we are hurting others. We, we have um, locked arms with the oppressor and said, I'm gonna join you with my silence. And then we both become the oppressors. And we just can't do that. Like we can't afford to do that, especially with everything that's going on all over the world right now, um, Than it's it's crazy. This is this work is needed more than ever. Why, why is it needed more than ever? Well, well, go there. Sure. I feel like um, right now there's, there's such a, it, it's a strange time to be a human being, but it's also a, a, an even stranger time to be an educator. Um, Teachers are having to deal with having to deal with so many things in terms of the pandemic. But on top of all of the stress in terms of the pandemic, there's this political climate, and I'll speak specifically about the United States. But there's this political climate in the United States in terms of um, conversations around crit uh, critical race theory, which of course isn't even taught in pre-K twelve schools. We're talking about two very different things. But there are so many educational institutions out there that have conflated all of this work and made it into one thing, which it isn't. And I think the thing that's even most astonishing to me is that the pandemic conversations have even bled into um, conversations about equity and social justice. I mean, folks that are anti-masks and anti-vaccinations comparing their struggle to um, the Holocaust, it, I mean, that just baffles me. Like, I just don't see how we get from one, from point A to point B and make that kind of assumption and, and not realizing how hurtful it is. And look, I'm going to say it. There are some educators out there that are absolutely hurting students right now. And I know that most of us are good people, but if you are one of those folks that are a part of that conflation and lumping everything together and not being critical about the pieces that you disagree with and having rational conversations about what our next steps, then we have in fact um, fully embraced the oppression, the oppression of the communities that always are oppressed, which are black indigenous um, communities of color, linguistically and culturally diverse student communities. So that brings us to uh, second to the last question. What is the intersection between language liberation, the work that you do, and then queer identity? Sure. So I think I think what I the reason I caused this madre is because I just believe in liberation, right? This madre in the name of equity and social justice. And what folks don't seem to understand, especially those that have a lot of privilege, those that are um, not a part of these very unique and complex intersectionalities, folks with racial privilege um, 
I think that, that that intersection has to be explored because one of the things that I always share and that it's taken me many years to, to be able to verbalize is that if you want the research that I uh, engage in, if you want the strategies, if you want the professional learning, then you have to have all of the parts of me. So if you like the TikTok, then guess what? You got the queer, the language learning, and the Mexican. If you like the C6 by Literacy Instructional Framework and what that does in terms of equity and social justice lesson planning, then suck it up, baby, because you got the queer, you got the Mexican, and you got the emergent bilingual student. If you like the way that I facilitate professional learning, but you want me to be less queer, it's not happening, mama. It's not happening, papa. It's not happening, whatever the term is for our non-barrier, amigas. It's not happening, amigas, because you are going to get the queer, the emergent bilingual, and the Mexican, and you're going to love it. Like, <laughs> you you are about to throw yourself on the floor. I am, like, because I think my tears are coming to like like converting to snot now because I just can't hold it in anymore. Well, it's just that you don't get, and I don't mean you, but you out there, you don't get to compartmentalize me. We don't get to compartmentalize each other. Like we we don't get to choose the pieces of each other that that we want amplified. Like that's not for you to decide. And so um, I think that's what I bring that's very different in the world of dual language, language learning. Um, I don't think that there are many of us that talk about our content area in that way. And I think that that's the reason why so many school districts reach out to us because um, we keep it real and, and we are really um, striving to do the work, the difficult work that will go on until we take our last breath. Oh. Well, I hope that's many, many years ahead. I hope so too. I mean, I just turned 50, but as you know, I look, you know, 40. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that I, that I will continue to be able to engage in this work because it, it, it fuels my being. Like, I love what I do. Yes. I love what I do. And so blessed to be able to serve all over the world. I mean, come on from the barrio to the echelons of academia, por favor. Who would have, who would have thunk? Thunk is a gorgeous word. It's a part of my linguistic repertoire. <laughs> well, I thunk a lot then. There you go. There you go. Because all language is beautiful. Yes. So you, you said you can't ask kids to decompartmentalize themselves. It's just like Dr. Cummings said. He said, when we ask students, when we have students leave their language at home, we have students leave themselves at home. And it's the same thing. When we, when we ask parents, teachers, students to leave their LGBTQ-ness at home, they leave their whole self at home because they say, what else can I not show you? That's exactly it. Um, I recently did a podcast with queer educators and um, one of the, um, not a podcast, it was a, a, a live webinar. And um, Joe Dombrowski, um, a friend and a colleague mentioned that um, he had a picture of his uh, partner at the bottom of his drawer because he couldn't share it in, in his classroom. And I, that, that statement and that image just kind of stays with me because that's what it's about. When you ask a teacher to hide such an important part of their identity, 
then you are not allowing them to fully serve the students in that classroom, to fully serve and learn alongside um, colleagues because they're literally having to hide a picture of their spouse in the drawer. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And so if that's happening with adults, then we know that that's happening with students as well. Right. And adults with education, with power and privilege, if this is, and, and kids And self-confidence, self-confidence, like Mr. D times three is super self-confident. But even those of us that have confidence, we have to hide pieces of ourselves often when we are at those initial stages of our journey, especially if we are in a school district that's not gonna value all that we bring. So speaking about those school districts that don't value what we bring, all that we bring, what's the first step to getting there? Sure. So I think that I think that we definitely need to be able to scale conversations around um, sociocultural competence, anti-bias, anti-racism. I think that right now what's happening is that we have a lot of performative um, kind of actions that are being done in school districts. We'll put out a statement, um, you know, that we support this and that, but the systems aren't there to actually uh, make that happen. It's one of the reasons why I love um, the C6 by literacy instructional framework, which you're familiar with, because it gives teachers a way to lesson plan in this way. But for districts and for school leaders, so one of my favorite resources, because it gives us a system, all of, I'm all about scaling, right? So that we can have those conversations in every classroom, um, comes to us from the work of Lindsay Robbins Terrell, and then they added Diaz and um, Dolores Lindsay. So it's called a culturally proficient response to LGBTQ plus communities. And the reason that I love this resource is because I love their cultural proficiency continuum. It, it gives us six levels um, that we can use in school so that if a teacher says something derogatory about a student, if a parent says something derogatory about a teacher, if a comment is made about a queer kid, if a comment is made about um, a, a child that's overweight and aligning with that phobia, then we all have the same lens to engage and unpack that statement. And so what I've been able to do is really combine the work of Lindsay Robbins and Terrell, Cultural Proficiency, um, uh, a manual for school leaders, and obviously resources like this one, um, with a C6 by literacy instructional framework to really be able to see and engage those in those conversations in every classroom, not just in a handful of classrooms. I also think it's important that we put this in um, board policy. If, if it's not in board policy, then as soon as there's a new leader, a new superintendent or dean of schools or whatever, that work disappears. And so I say this to our dual language bilingual um, education programs all the time, but I I would recommend it in terms of all of the work that we do um, focused on anti-bias, anti-racism, get that into school policy because if it's in school board policy, then it's gonna be much more difficult to do away with that. And as you, you've heard and read and, and have seen on the news, I mean, there are school districts, um, not just in the United States, but all over the place, really trying to limit the conversations that we engage our students in. So I also wanted to share another resource that's been really, really helpful. This is called Seeing Gender an illustrated guide to identity and expression. And it's by Iris Godlieb. I hope I pronounced the last name. I don't know the author, um, but I would practice their name if I had an opportunity. So Iris Godlieb 
um, seeing gender. The reason that I love it is that it's actually very um, teacher adult friendly, but also very student friendly. Um, and it goes through the different um, historical aspects, but also the um, identifying factors for different members of the community. Um, and then the, the visuals are stunning. So just very, very user-friendly resource. And then the final resource that I have for district and campus leaders, I think you know um, our, our colleague and friend Liz Kleinrock. So she is an anti-bias, anti-racism expert. And this is her um, latest release. It's called Start Here, Start Now. And what this does is it, it gives us that ability to scale the work. I actually have already started um, finding the intersection of her work and the C6 by Literacy Instructional Framework and the Lindsay Robbins and Terrell work um, because it's gonna be just a perfect mesh. So it's all about scalability, in my opinion. The work that cannot be scaled cannot be replicated and maintained. Un libro. Gabriel is speaking to me. He's saying un libro. Mm -hmm. Ah, que, que un libro de mí? Sí. Ay, pues mira, ahorita, en este momento, estoy escribiendo el libro de la planificación, the C6 by Literacy Framework. So right now I'm writing a book, I'm, I'm in the midst of writing a book um, for the C6 by Literacy Instructional Framework, and it includes all of these pieces. Um, the reason that it was delayed is because of the pandemic. And so the new release date is planned for November of 2022. Uh, my deadline is um, beginning of May, so I'm working feverishly to finish that book. But I think that you're right. I think that my next book um, is going to be focused specifically on liberation. Um, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I have on my iPhone, I have notes um, in my notes uh, app, all of the things that I want to do. So once the C6 book is done, then definitely I'm moving into the next book. But right. Gabriel, I voy, I voy. There are only so many hours in a day, compadre. <laughs> I'm working on it. He's saying you can do it. Like, I, I can, I can, I can, thank to. you. I will, I will. And obviously, um, so much of what I do on social media is to get folks thinking as I and others engage in this work so that um, so that we can even get it in, in you know, little bite-sized um, portions to begin that reflection. Well, I could go on for another year just talking to you. I, I'm healed by this conversation. Oh, gracias, Tan. I adore you, as I know. As you know, I adore you. And I just am so um, proud of the work that you engage in. And I'm humbled to learn alongside you, humbled to be your colleague and friend. Um, may I share some quick books for teachers? Because I came prepared as a, as a final statement. You need to go ahead um, and purchase this book if you're an educator. Specifically, I brought um, elementary books because that's usually where we're most afraid. This is called Introducing Teddy. It's a gentle story about gender and friendship, perfect for early childhood. Um, for my bilingual friends, dual language teachers, Cuando Amamos Cantamos, When We Love, um, Someone, We Sing to Them. It's a great book that's in both English and Spanish. And then, of course, I also want to share my book that was released in November of 2020 at La Cosecha, Boys Don't Cry. And then the Spanish version is Los Niños No Lloran, of course, available in English with Spanglish and Spanish with Spanglish. 
Um, and this one is really a love letter to my father. My father was um, raised very traditional machismo kind of beliefs, but he is amazing and obviously loves Tony more than he loves me now. And I'm okay with that. He loves my husband more than he loves me. That's fine. Um, but I've never seen a Chicano um, Latinx queer uh, child in uh, represented in a book, language learning child. And so I made sure that, that I had that uh, published. So see, I'm working Gabriel. That's the book that Gabriel is in. And then the last book, I actually lent it to a colleague here in the DC area. So I don't have it with me because they were using it. Um, they call me Mix, Me Llaman Maestre. It was written by an early childhood educator, Lourdes Rivas. Um, they are non-binary. And so they wrote this book in English and Spanish to teach early childhood um, students about being non-binary. So we are very grateful to them. Um, Lourdes Riva, they call me Miss. For those of you that don't know, non-binary folks, we wouldn't call them Miss or Mister. We would call them Mix, Mix Medina, if I were a non-binary educator. Or in Spanish, Le Maestre, instead of El Maestro, La Maestra, Le Maestre is what we would um, utilize. So anyway, just thought I'd share those handful of resources as well. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. You are rocking it out and just causing this madre all over the place, which I, I love. I love. Thank you for the work that you do. And you know that you can call upon me whenever you need me. Can I ask you for the one last question? And then I'll say goodbye. Sure. goodbye. Uh, I only reserve this question for the most prolific guests. That's you. So, Aww. Oprah always says, she has a column in her thing on her O Magazine. She says, this I know for sure. What do you know for sure after all these years of advocacy, of work? I know for sure that everything that happened to me, because Oprah also says, it's the question is not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. What I know for sure is that everything that happened to me as a child, as an adolescent, and as an adult prepared me for this moment of service. And so I know that although I am constantly afraid and nervous, I know that I have to take that next step um, if I am truly going to be doing the work that was intended for me to do. That I know for sure. Well, this I know for sure. I'm getting goosebumps again. You, you talked about Gabriel. Now you say that he's beside your bed and he's there protecting you and he's there helping you. I would say that through this conversation, through your work, but through this conversation, you are our Gabriel. Oh, uh, now you're going to make me cry and thank you. You are my thank Gabriel. You have always been a mentor. You always stand up for the right thing. You always give me the words that I look for, but I can't grasp. You always give me the solid ground to always look up to say you are more than enough. Because you are, Than, because you are, because you are. OMG, I feel like the fairy godmother right now um, in the new Cinderella movie. I just need the ensemble, verdad? Verdad. You are. Well, you are, I consider you a mother of all of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A very young mother looking yeah. for you. <laughs> Not a day over.
Not a day over, not a day over. No, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And um, I, I'm just humbled, humbled to share the virtual space with you. Gracias, amigo. Gracias a ti. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that work and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. With all of my heart, I believe that when we do not welcome students' languages at schools, we don't welcome students. But language is not the only part of a student's identity. In the same way that we are striving for racial and linguistic freedom, it's time for liberation of students of the LGBTQ community. In the same vein, it's also time for our LGBTQ colleagues to be free as well. Looking back at my first 12 years of education, not once did I see any LGBTQ representation. This further reinforced the message that I had to turn down a part of my identity. We must never ask them to turn down their heart song. If anything, let our schools be places where they can turn up the volume, no matter their language, no matter their culture, no matter their sexual orientation. For to silence one part is to silence the whole. In the next episode, we're joined by Dr. James Coda and Dr. Le Jiang, who will talk about querying language instruction. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine.